0: Today is our final sermon in the series we've called God Loves Nobodies. And through the course of the last three weeks, we've seen that that we want to be somebody. And then last week, we talked about how Jesus became the greatest nobody to make us somebody. And today, we want to see that that nobody who Jesus became is for everybody. We're going to see that in somebody that everybody probably considered a nobody, but God had some Beautiful words for him through Jesus as they hung on the crosses. When's the last time you had one of those conversations that you walked away from thinking, wow, I really learned something today? And I, and I know you have conversations every day. You have conversations with friends and, and with relatives, with spouses, with with others that you'd have conversations about weather and homework and the Badgers and all kinds of things and none of those conversations are wrong or surface level or anything like that. But, but it's rare, isn't it, to have a conversation in which you walk away and say, we really helped each other or that really helped me to hear that today. And I think about that when I think about this conversation that Jesus had with the criminal hanging next to him on the cross. It wasn't a very long conversation. And yet, that conversation had such deep and profound meaning, not just for that criminal on the cross, but for you and me today. As we take a look at Jesus on that cross, looking to the world like a nobody, we get to see in his words that Jesus is a nobody for everybody. And we see it in two ways in both the words of the criminal on the cross as well as the words of Jesus himself. First of all, that Jesus remembers us. And then secondly, he promises us paradise. I want you to listen again to Luke setting the stage for these beautiful words, this exchange between the criminal and Jesus, as he does so in the first few verses of Luke chapter 23 uh, in our text today. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. As we think about these criminals on the cross, I don't know how often I couldn't put a percentage on it when I see pictures of that first Good Friday How many times it's just the cross of Jesus and how many times it looks a little bit like the picture on the screen where there are actually three crosses pictured. I always appreciate photos like this because or or renderings like that because it reminds me, it helps me recall that Jesus wasn't alone as he was crucified. Reminds me of the truth of Isaiah's words written almost 700 years before Jesus was put to death when he wrote this. He was numbered with the transgressors. That's what Jesus was on that cross, just a criminal like anyone else. I think it's interesting, too, through, the, through history, you may have heard that they're often called thieves, the thief on the cross, and that's certainly not necessarily a wrong translation, but the original Greek word for criminal means, it's a compound word that means evil works or an evildoer. Perhaps it's the Bible's way of just reminding us that these were not the best citizens that a country could have. And yet there's Jesus, numbered with the transgressors. Since there are three crosses on that hill that we call Golgotha on that Good Friday, I'd like to take each one of those crosses to symbolize something different as we walk through the story today, this this sermon today. And the first thing I want to say is that the cross of the one criminal, the one we hear rebuke or the one we hear mocking Jesus, we'll call that the cross of rejection. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? He actually admits or says that he believes that Jesus is the Messiah. Aren't you the Messiah? But he wasn't interested in what Jesus was offering. He wasn't interested in the forgiveness of sins. He wanted Jesus to come down from the cross and then get him down from the cross as well. And then what happens next is it's hard to believe. The other criminal who Matthew's gospel tells us just moments earlier had been joining in on the mocking rebukes the one across from him. Don't you fear God, he says. We are under the same sentence as someone who has done nothing wrong. It's almost as if he's overwhelmed to think, I am hanging on a cross with someone who doesn't deserve to be here. Jesus had done nothing wrong. And then his attention is directed to Jesus. And he makes a request of Jesus. He simply says this, Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. What changed? How could he go from being like so many others, standing around the cross, mocking Jesus, hurling insults at him, to all of a sudden rebuking the other criminal and saying, well, wait a minute. We are not the equal with this man that is hanging on the cross next to us. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us when it happened, but some point as he was hanging on that cross, whether it was things that Jesus said or or things that he heard about Jesus, his heart had been changed. And that's what led to his request. So perhaps we could say that this second cross, the cross of the criminal who makes the request of Jesus, is the cross of repentance. Isn't it amazing what God's gospel can accomplish? This man somehow recognized his own sin. He recognized that he had fallen short of what God demanded and he needed someone to take his place. That amazing power of the gospel was at work even as Jesus was hanging on the cross. As the man said, I need what Jesus is bringing to the world on this cross. And that's what led to his plea. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Do you find it interesting that we don't know anything about this man? We're not told his name. We don't know anything about his background. We don't even know what crimes he had committed to have the sentence of death. But then I wonder if that's not purposeful so that you and I can relate to that man hanging on the cross. Which one of us could say, not me, I haven't committed any crimes. I've lived a life that's exemplary and and perfect and and honors God in, in all aspects. We can't. Oh, and maybe we could say, well, I've not done anything deserving crucifixion or capital punishment. And then the Apostle John reminds us that if we hate our brother or sister, even in our thoughts, then we're murderers. And then Jesus reminds us that when we look lustfully at others, that's committing adultery in our hearts. We can't live up to God's holy demands. And as the Apostle Paul rightly said, the wages of our sin is death. That's our death, that the criminal on the cross was suffering. And that's what makes it all the more amazing what Jesus says to him after he asks him to remember him got me to thinking this week a little bit about memory. And so, I want you to talk to somebody close to you today about your memory and I'll give you some parameters for that. I want you to think about your memory and put it on a scale of 1 to 10. 10 being perfect, you never forget anything and 1 being I have the worst memory that's ever existed. And I want you to gauge your memory between those two parameters and then share with somebody what your number is and why you chose that number. I'll give you, oh, 30, 45 seconds to do that. Go ahead. Okay, I, I hear a conversation dwindling a little bit. And it's okay. I, I, it's because some of you are blessed with terrific memories. Who are my, uh, I'm, over, I'm eight or over with my memory. Anybody eight? We got a few, yep. And I know there are people out there that are like that. Okay, who puts, their, puts themselves between like four and seven? I figured that would be most people. Anybody want to say I am a three or less? Okay, we got a couple of those too. Can I just tell you it depends for me? I think memory is is an amazing thing. It's so difficult to understand because I can remember things I learned as a freshman in high school. The date of the defeat of the Spanish Armada, 1588. I don't know why I will never forget that date, but I will not. I still remember 40 years after it was released uh, or introduced the ingredients of a Big Mac, to all all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, and a sesame seed bun. Why do I know that? I have no idea. I can still remember from my college English class the 11 suffixes that make every word a noun. Ans, ens, asian, airy, money, monacity, hood, nessity, toed. Why do I remember that kind of thing? And then, at least a couple times a month, have to turn around on my way to drive to chapel because I left my wallet or cell phone at home. Or I go to the grocery store and I cannot remember what my wife asked me to pick up. Like, memory is one of those frustrating things, isn't it? And so when the thief on the cross says to Jesus, remember me, do you think he's really concerned that Jesus is somehow going to forget who he was or what had happened? There's something a little deeper here, isn't there, than just asking Jesus to to make sure that his memory is good? What the, criminal on the cross is asking for, is the blessings that only Jesus can bring. Remember me is the the criminal's way of saying to Jesus, do I have your blessing? Are there good things in store for me? And isn't that exactly what Jesus was doing on the cross? Remembering not only that criminal, but remembering each one of us too? That's his whole reason for coming to this earth, to get to that very point where he was suffering for you and for me. When he was paying for the sins that we could have been executed for, that's what Jesus was doing to remember us. And he proves it. He proves it in his answer to the criminal on the cross. Jesus says to him, Truly I tell you, today, today you will be with me in paradise. Perhaps you know this, but The Gospels record seven different things that Jesus said from the cross, seven different sayings of Jesus. And this is one of those seven, these words to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. And so if we're going to go to the symbolism or what happened on cross number three, the one in the middle, on that Good Friday, we would have to say that is the cross of redemption. That's what Jesus accomplished on that cross by his willing sacrifice for you and for me. Imagine this, the criminal said it right, didn't he? This man has done nothing wrong and yet he suffered not just my punishment for sin but each and every one of yours too. The sins of the entire world were piled on Jesus as he was on that cross. And and maybe you remember one of the other things that Jesus said as he was hanging on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't just the agony of the execution at a crucifixion that Jesus felt. He felt the very agony of hell in your place and mine. That's what Jesus did, willingly. And that's how he could say to that criminal, Today, today you will be with me in paradise. Wait a minute, you might say, Don't our bodies just go into the ground after we die? How could Jesus say, today? Well, it was Solomon in Ecclesiastes who wrote this, The body goes to the ground, the dust from which it came, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. In a very real way, Jesus could say to this criminal today because his soul would go on living. And then at the last day, Jesus would join body and soul to live forever in that joy of eternity. What happened here on the cross, that exchange, as short as it was between Jesus and the criminal, is nothing short of amazing. And they're words that aren't meant to stop with that criminal. But those are words for each of us, too. Today, you will be with me in paradise. I want you to think about how those words, how that phrase brings you comfort and peace in your life every single day. No matter what frustration you're facing, what you're up against in this life, no matter how difficult school becomes and the tests that you have to take, no matter how much your health goes away, no matter how much finances are a frustration every single day, no matter what is going on, and each of us walked into this church today with different things happening in our hearts and in our lives, Jesus wants you to hear those words. Today. Today you will be with me in paradise. Whenever our time in this world is up, Jesus already has a place for us with him in heaven. He's ready to welcome us home. And that can't be changed. Because another thing that Jesus said from the cross is this, it is finished. You will be with me in paradise, Jesus says, using a word that describes something wonderful, something that words can hardly put into, that can hardly be put into words. That's what you have to look forward to. That's what I have, the joy I have every single day, is that this life is not the end, an eternity. With our Lord. That's what Jesus has for us when he says, Today you will be with me in paradise. A few things to take away from our sermon today. Number one, Jesus subjected himself to the death of a criminal as he remembered each of us. Peter said it this way in his first epistle. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. By his wounds we are healed. Number two, God changes our hearts to see Jesus as our only hope for salvation. The disciples said it this way in the book of Acts Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given among mankind given to us by which we must be saved. And finally, number three, Jesus promises us that we will be with him in paradise. If you get a chance this week, just read the first six or seven verses of Revelation chapter 21 as the Apostle Apostle John describes what eternity is going to be like. I'll share just a bit of that with you where he says, He will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will have passed away. Paradise. What comes to your mind when you hear that word? Maybe you have an idyllic vacation spot that has the white sands and the blue water that you think of. Maybe it's a peaceful spot out in the woods where you just get to be alone with your thoughts. Whatever your paradise is, it's only a small picture of the paradise that's waiting for us. The original, in the original language, the word paradise means a garden. It means a beautiful place, a park, something like that. And, and I suppose you understand that that is why the Garden of Eden is often referred to as paradise, the place that God made for Adam and Eve that was ruined by the fall into sin. When I think of the word paradise, it it leads me to think about the Apostle Paul. and, And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he tells us that he was privileged to be caught up to paradise. And he says there he saw inexpressible things, things that a person is not able to tell. That's what's waiting for you. This is the joy of heaven. We will be with our Lord, the one who was willing to sacrifice himself for us forever. Jesus remembers you. And Jesus promises you that paradise. And because he earned it for you on the cross, that's a promise you can count on. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus. Amen.